Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Outbreak Podcast, an outlet for discussing creativity and the great beyond. We also discuss everything from gaming to film to the dark and dreary corners of the internet. I'm your host on this wild ride, William Key. This is episode 97. Apologies in advance, actually. I was supposed to have Matt on today, but he had to bail at the last minute. His daughter's not feeling well, and I wish her all the best. I hope that she's feeling well. Right now, it's that cold and flu season that's going around, and Finn had dealt with that about two weeks ago, and he only just came out the other side, you know, like last week, and he's been back at a a full week of daycare, you know, knock on wood, as long as nothing else happens. So I I understand his pain and his struggle, but we'll get him back on again soon. I actually do have a guest lined up for next week, uh, if all continues to go through. Uh, So, you know, we'll see. Uh, I you know, we're getting close to the end of the year. Uh, so I've been debating whether or not I should even take a break maybe before. I might take a break uh, at Christmas time, come back in the new year fresh. I'm looking at the calendar right now. And if I continue to do a podcast every week, this week is 97, 98, 99. Uh, episode 100 may fall on the 22nd if I actually do end up doing a podcast that day. Or, you know, episode 100 may fall to the new year. So I'll let you guys know uh, what I decide to do if I'm feeling like doing episode 100 this year or maybe start fresh in the new year so you guys have a brand new episode. And remember, this is numbered episodes. I've technically already done over 100 episodes if you count bonus episodes uh, as well as conscience call, but... I, I don't really count those, you know, I've done, like, I'm very close to doing a hundred numbered episodes. And I'm, I'm very proud of myself that I've continued to truck along as long as I have with this show. And it's a testament, not only to myself being able to buckle down and dedicate my time and energy to continue to put episodes out, but it's also to the, the people who do continue to come back and listen. And I know who you guys are because it's, it's a relatively small Uh, crew of people who listen. I I don't anticipate I've got like 200 listeners out there, but the people who do come back and listen and who talk to me and bring up the show and they continue to download episodes. I know who you are and and I'm very happy and I'm very grateful for you guys who continue to come and, and listen and listen to me ramble on like this and basically toot my own horn for at least the first 10 minutes of the episode until I finally get rolling. But here, you know what? Uh, I'll get away from that and I'll talk about some updates that have been going on in my life. I have now, because we are now in December, I've decided to start rounding up uh, my list. Uh, Last year, I did a list of my top three favorite games, movies, and shows that I've experienced for the year. And this year, I've, I've actually gathered my list a little more concrete. You know, I've put together all the shows that I've watched, all the movies that I've watched, all the games that I've played this year, and I'm going to buckle it down to three and try to get my blog together before the Christmas holiday. So probably, you know, may, I might write it in the next week or so. Uh, and I have also included games on there that I have not finished, you know, like Persona 5 and Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild are on my list. So I don't think Persona 5 is going to make my top three games of the year, but Breath of the Wild has a good chance. And I'm, I'm at the last boss, so I think I've, I've played a good chunk of the game to at least have an opinion on whether or not I like it enough for it to be in my top three or not. So I realized I have not watched as many movies as I thought. I think I only had like a dozen movies on my list, but television shows, my word, I had like... 25, 26 shows that I finished. And this not only includes taking a show from start to finish, but, you know, individual seasons. Like, you know, you had um, Stranger Things season four, Better Call Saul, uh, sixth and final season were in there as well. 
So that list is going to be a little more daunting. But my games list is going to be daunting to, to narrow down. You know, I've got some solid hitters in there this year. Of course, Breath of the Wild, as I just mentioned. But I've also got God of War. I've got uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales and Jedi Fallen Order. Like, I've got a bunch of games that I can pull from this year that, you know, I think I've played the most, like, solid games this year than I have in a long time. So I am excited to to go through and really whittle down the ones that I feel st- stand out this year as my favorite games of the year, uh, as well as movies and shows. So look forward to that blog that will be coming sometime in December. As well, I have committed and, you know, in the next week or two, and maybe I'll delay at least the movie side of it so I can get caught up. I have committed to catching up on the last two years of Disney and Pixar films. I've been saying that to people. I've made it official now here on the podcast. So there's a couple of films that I have yet to watch that I am interested in watching. This includes Encanto, Raya and the Last Dragon, Soul, and Turning Red. Those have all come out in the past two years, and I want to get caught up. I've already watched Luca, so that one's also been under my belt. I watched it last year with my wife. But these four films as well, I've watched them kind of come in and go by. I might even throw Lightyear on the list as well, just so that way, you know, I've hit all, all the areas. And if I have time to watch Strange World before the end of the year, then that would be part of 2022 as well. But for now, I put four or five of them on my list. Those are the ones I'm going to try to get to before the end of the year. And who knows, they may be good enough to make my top three movies of the year list. So we'll see about that. So what have I been watching, playing, experiencing in the past week? It's been a pretty productive week in terms of shows. Again, it's been basically flat in terms of games. I haven't gotten back to any games, haven't gone back to beat Breath of the Wild, haven't started any new games or rented anything. So it's been all shows. And thankfully, it's all been stuff I can say I'm now in review mode for. Let's start off with Guardians of the Galaxy, the holiday special. That came out last week. And I got to say... I didn't think that this film was going to be as strong as it actually was. It, it was fun. It was a lot of fun for the 40 minutes that, that it was. And I definitely think that it, it, did, it felt like it went by really quickly. But I mean, 40 minutes is like the traditional hour-long episode of a, of a show, you know, with commercials taken out. But what I really, really enjoyed about this story, besides the fact that it was Christmas-themed, was that it focused on some of the lesser-known characters of the guardians namely drax we know drax is you know kind of the comedic he's the comedic one of the gang but also mantis had a really pivotal role in this film you get to delve into a bit more of her powers a bit more of her character and her and her personality quirks as well you get this big revelation and i'm sorry i'm going to spoil it here because if you haven't already watched it skip ahead that mantis is in fact peter quill's sister from ego from guardians 2 uh, so we learned this big story that the two of them are actually related. And I think that's big. That's a big, like, pivotal moment for these two characters in terms of bonding and Mantis actually coming in. And she was still a relatively new character to the Guardians. And she didn't really get enough screen time to really justify understanding who her character was. You know, we, she joined the team close to the end of Guardians 2. Then we got thrust into everything that had to do with Avengers, Infinity War, and Endgame. And then we got Thor, Love and Thunder. So we really didn't get a chance to see her character take the spotlight so we can understand who she is. Um, We may get a bit more of her in the next Guardians film that's coming in May. Uh, I'll be touching on that actually in a little bit. But it was really nice to see. And also Kevin Bacon being the star of this show as well. I thought it was really funny that that Kevin Bacon was in this film and they were playing on the fact that he was an actor and he 
He danced to save a city in Footloose, and he also uh, fought, I believe he fought Jason Voorhees as well in Friday the 13th <laughs> and got an arrow to the head or an arrow to the neck. And it was funny. And they made references like that. We also got to see uh, a bit of Rocket. We saw an older Groot in this film. So this this clearly seems to be leaning into what is going to become Guardians 3. There were like there was a post credit scene, but yet there wasn't any particular hints as to what is going to happen in Guardians 3, other than the fact that you know, the team is still here. They're missing Gamora. Uh, so Peter Quill seems to be bummed because Gamora is, you know, not part of the team. And she's gone off on her own adventure. And that theme and that element is going to carry into Guardians 3 for sure. Uh, the other element, too, is that the Guardians just own the planet Nowhere. And they reside on the planet Nowhere. So they have to explain how that came about. Because that wasn't really touched upon in Thor Love and Thunder. So... At some point, they just purchased the the planet, I guess, or they've taken over the planet and it's now their home and they, they live amongst a society of, you know, intergalactic people, I guess. And they, they're just the guardians of the galaxy, truly. They are, they are now like the resident superheroes of that planet. I really enjoyed it. I definitely, I don't think it holds a candle to Werewolf by Night, unfortunately, as a as a special. But as a holiday special, it's one of those things that you can definitely add to your your rotation once a year to watch it at Christmas time, uh, alongside you know like Home Alone and and uh, a Christmas Story and Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Like you can just add it to your repertoire, and it's a short, bite sized, fun adventure. That doesn't necessarily start, start all the Guardians in leading roles. They don't all have major roles, but as I said, you get to see Mantis and Drax definitely take on a fun adventure with Kevin Bacon. Uh, as well, I also finished up Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities on Netflix. This was an anthology series that delved into different short stories that were basic, basically in the horror, psychological thriller vein. A lot of body horror, a lot of gore, a lot of gross imagery, but some also some really you know, really well-casted stories and some really well-told stories as well. Some of the ones that stood out to me included, well, the first one, Lot 49, or 49 or 47, and that had Tim Blake Nelson in the lead role. I thought that was a great start to a... It was a very slow-burn story. Um, then you had The Outside, which starred Kate Matusi and Martin Starr as a couple, and, and Kate's character basically wants to fit in with this group at work that's like all these beautiful people and starts getting obsessed with taking this cream that's supposed to transform her into her beautiful self. And then finally, the the last episode, The Murmuring, uh, which starred Essie Davis as well as Andrew Lincoln, also known as Rick Grimes from Walking Dead, as a, a couple who is also basically obsessed with studying birds and their murmurations, which is basically birds in flight that sort of bend and weave in the sky to take on shapes and patterns and how to communicate. And that one is more of like a, a haunted house story because as they're sort of watching these birds in their sort of natural habitat, the wife is experiencing some paranormal aberrations within the house. And it turns out that it sort of starts to cause a strain within their marriage. And this one was less of a body horror story compared to the other seven episodes. And this one was focused a lot more on sort of like a ghostly haunting more, more like a haunted ghost story like The Conjuring, which I thought was a really well done and a great way to sort of taper off from the body horror that we watched. I didn't know if the series was going to really take off and do well. 
you know, but I thought it was really nice that Guillermo del Toro sort of pulled together all these relatively unknown directors, uh, a lot of them from his heritage, but a lot of them were also television actors or, or directors. Uh, the the one in the last episode, uh, The Murmuring, was actually the director of The Babadook, and the main actress was the main actress from that film as well. So you can see that these, act- these directors are pulling in actors they've worked with to tell really compelling horror stories. And I really do hope this gets picked up for a second season because anthology shows are ripe with potential to tell tons and tons of different stories in such a short time frame. We even got two H.P. Lovecraft stories that were adapted for the show. So I would love to continue to see them to challenge themselves into adapt H.P. Lovecraft. One of them didn't really deliver very well, which was Dreams of the Witch House. And I thought it was probably the weakest episode of the eight that we got from this show. Otherwise, though, everything else was pretty good. And like I said, the ones that I, I said that stood out, my favorite was still, I think, the last episode, which was The Murmuring. I thought that was a a very good haunting story. As well, I don't think I touched upon this last week, but I did finish Andor. And I got to say, that is such such a bold uh, take on the Star Wars meta. And I'm I'm super excited for season two. I think that they have... They know what they're doing. If you watch the end of the show, you know what they're leading towards. And I think season two, they've talked about it. And I think Tony Gilroy, the producer creator, has already said that there's going to be time jumps. They've got to kind of catch up to like the last four years before the beginning of Rogue One. And I think we'll get there. I think that this story, every two to three episodes, is going to jump ahead by a year. And we're going to see how the story quickly advances and how the rebellion starts to come together and how Cassian sort of leads the rebellion towards then meeting up with Jyn Erso at the beginning of Rogue One. So we're seeing all the pieces fall into play. And I think that all these characters you know, came to have important storylines. At the beginning, it felt like they were all just kind of random characters that were sort of in their own domain. But then as the series progressed, you sort of see how all their stories connect and how they interweave with each other. And, you know, you're rooting for the good guys. You're not really rooting for the bad guys, but you kind of want to see how their stories correlate as well. You know, that big post credit scene in the finale, that was that was amazing. And I think this was the first Star Wars show that did not feature a single lightsaber. And that's okay. And funny enough, you know, you, you forget that you're watching a Star Wars show when you're watching this because it just feels like another gritty sort of sci-fi drama. And that's cool. I think that's cool that Star Wars took a chance on a story like this and they told it the way they wanted to tell it. I'm pretty hopeful for the future of Star Wars. I think that the television shows are doing such a great job and I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next year. I know Mandalorian's the next show that's going to come. We're going to get it next year in March. Didn't really see a trailer for it today at CCXP, uh, but we'll get into that in a little bit. But the last show that I wanted to discuss that I also finished today was the finale of Mighty Ducks Game Changers. And I thought it was funny that that the Ducks went against a Canadian team of prospects as the villain. I thought it was funny that the that the Canadians were play, were kind of put put it as the villain instead of say like Russia or Germany or one of those one of those countries. But I thought it was cool and and you know it felt like a it was a great way to tie off season two. You had this combined team of the Ducks and another rival team called Dominate that came together under the mantle of the Ducks. Uh, within this sort of summer camp that they went to. And you get this full team. 
Unfortunately, the only thing that only gripe that I have with it is that I feel like they put too much emphasis on one of the players in the finale. Whereas the Ducks, because it's a, it's always been a team environment and each of the characters have their own quirks. They established those quirks earlier on, but I didn't really see them all come into fruition in the final episode. And I feel like that could have been done a little better to show each of those characters in their sort of natural quirky elements. But you know what? There's hope that season three is going to come. I think that there is a chance to bring characters back to sort of form the team yet again. But I don't think that this show has the staying power that I once thought it would because the characters are getting older and because they're now they're talking about, oh, early draft prospects. So there's potentials for certain characters to get drafted into the major leagues. And it's really hard to continue that mantle of the Ducks when you start to move on to different divisions and to move on to play with the big leagues. So we'll see how this goes. We'll see if even the same roster of kids are going to be around next year. It seems like they cut the team in half at the end of season one and focused on like a core six or seven of them uh, that then interacted with a group of new kids that ended up becoming a new version of the Ducks that had a bit more skill. So chances are that we're going to continue to see that if they do renew it for season three, that we're going to get new new faces coming in to sort of build this team into, you know, whatever it's going to be whatever they decide to go about. Not as many cameos this season as I thought there were going to be. They were all kind of front-loaded. But I am expecting that season three, maybe they'll figure it out if they do get renewed for season three. Only time will tell. So as I mentioned, now that we're going to get into our major stories, we did have some breaking news today. Uh, It was the major CCXP panel that featured a lot of news surrounding Disney projects. This includes Marvel Studios as well as Lucasfilm. Some of the major ones I do want to discuss is that we got our first official trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And that was amazing. I, I really liked that first trailer. I thought that the the highlight of that trailer was right near the beginning when Drax basically lobbed a soccer ball at some like little bunny kid's head and just like decimated her. I thought that was hilarious. It caught me off guard. But they're looking to tell a much more emotional story to cap off this trilogy. You know, you've got some elements in terms of the fact that you've got the high evolutionary that is going to be the major villain, and he's going to tie into the origins of Rocket Raccoon. So we get to see where Rocket came from, how he became who he is. As well, we're going to get the origin of Adam Warlock in there. We're going to get the story of Peter Quill trying to find Gamora. There's going to be a lot of stories being juggled in this film, and it's it seems like it's still going to have its comedy side, so that's good. You know, compared to Ant-Man 3, uh, at least Guardians is still going to carry the quip of humor. So that's important, at least for this team. And this finally seems like we're going to see a well more established kind of put together team. As you see, the Guardians walk out and they're all in the same costumes. They're now in a uniform uh, representing themselves as the Guardians. And I think that's really important that they're now unified in that way. Um, They've been working together for many years, close to 10 years now since the first Guardians film. And so... It makes sense that they all have come together and they've developed a uniform for themselves. And now they are going to be putting themselves forth as the official guardians of the galaxy. But this also seems like it is now the end of this iteration of the guardians and whatever form that takes on in the future, this team that we're seeing now is not going to be the same. It's been rumored that there is going to be death within this film, whether it's going to hit the emotional heart, like say a rocket raccoon or Groot, or if it's going to hit, like maybe near the top, like somebody like Gamora or even Peter Quill. It's kind of unsure. I think Dave Bautista 
for example, he has already kind of stated that he's sort of done playing Drax after this film. So there's a good chance that it could be Drax. It could be Drax that could be leaving the team. Or he may just go off and he may leave unscathed. Who knows? It seems like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like May 5th, you know, once this film is done, James Gunn as well is going to be moving over to DC. He's probably, he's already moved over to DC. He's now heading up their, their film division. And we're going to talk about James Gunn in a little bit. But I am hopeful for Guardians 3. I think this is going to be an amazing film, as as all the other two have been. We have a lot of stories to juggle here, so I hope that... I am confident that James Gunn knows what he's doing in terms of taking the time to really let the story uh, unfold, uh, but still tell it in a way that speaks to the heart of what this team and this story is. I guess we'll find out. We also got a bit of a sizzle reel for Ant-Man 3. Nothing new, no new footage really. We just got sort of the establishment of where Ant-Man has come and where he is now and to sort of build upon the importance of this character. Kevin Feige spoke on stage about how excited he is for Ant-Man 3 to drop and how it's going to shape the future of Phase 5 in the MCU and beyond. So Ant-Man 3 is going to be a massive film. To see a character like Ant-Man who kind of came from humble beginnings to now being a pivotal figure in terms of the future of the multiverse saga is great. And who knows? I mean, still, again, as we're talking about the end of trilogies here, are we going to see Scott Lang after Ant-Man 3? I, I believe so. I think he's going to stick around. I think Wasp is going to stick around. And I believe that Catherine Newton's uh, version of, of uh, Scott Lang's daughter is going to establish herself as part of the Young Avengers. I think that that is where they're leading to by introducing these characters that are all relatively close to the same age. I think that that speaks volumes to the fact that Young Avengers is in the, is in the direct future for the MCU. Uh, I don't really have much more to say. I mean, I think... It's February when Ant-Man drops. We finished Phase 4 now with Black Panther, Wakanda Forever that just came out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the last thing I wanted to discuss as well, um, aside from the fact that we did get the official confirmation of the release date for Mandalorian Season 3, which is March 10th or 11th, it's in there somewhere, we also got a first trailer for Indiana Jones 5, The Dial of Destiny or as I otherwise refer to it as the Dural of Destiny, because I apparently can't read. So when the title came up, I'm like, the Dural of Destiny. What the hell is a Dural? And I had to look it up. And then, you know, the internet, you know, they they corrected me. It was like that whole like Tears of the Kingdom versus Tears of the Kingdom for the tag for Legends of Zelda. But this was stupider because I read it as an R instead of an A. So either the the typeface that they used was just stupid or I just am blind and was oozing over the fact that Harrison Ford is going to be playing this character one more time. Very certain this is probably his last time as Indiana Jones as they're going to carry on the torch to somebody else. Rumors is because uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is playing his goddaughter in this film. Uh, so there's a good chance maybe she'll take the mantle. It's definitely not going to be Shia LaBeouf because he seems to be long gone and is not even touching this film. You know, he's been doing this role for years. And as he, as soon as he had said goodbye to Han Solo, now he's uh, he was up on stage talking about Indiana Jones and he was getting teary-eyed. And yeah, so like he knows he's not getting any younger. And this man is now 80. So the fact that he's still pulling these stunts at 80, that's impressive. But, you know, it's not like we're going to see the end of Harrison Ford. He is hopping uh, the ship from Lucasfilm to Marvel as he is going to be taking on the role of General Ross in the upcoming Captain America New World Order, as well as the Thunderbolts. So he is going to be keeping busy in terms of big budget hero films. You know, he's going to be playing a new role. 
going forward. So I am excited for Indiana Jones 5, The Dural of Destiny. And that's what I'm going to call this episode, The Dural of Destiny. <laughs> oh, that's my own little joke. Anyways, I'm going to move on now to our next story, uh, which actually in regards to the fact that we got our second official trailer for the Super Mario Brothers movie. And I got to say, is anybody else with that first trailer? It could have gone either way. But they gave us so much in the second trailer. We got to hear Luigi talk. We got to hear Peach talk. We got to see Donkey Kong. We got to see Cranky Kong. We got to see a bunch of Yoshis. We got to see a bunch of Toads. We got to see some more Mario. We got to see Mario get his ass kicked by Donkey Kong. Uh, we didn't get to hear Donkey Kong talk yet because we know Seth Rogen is playing Donkey Kong. So we know that's coming eventually as well. We got to see him. We got to hear Chris Pratt say, let's go. And then uh, he went like, Yahoo. When he was driving his Mario Kart up Rainbow Road, as well, we got Raccoon Mario. So is that Tanuki Mario or is that Raccoon Mario? And we got Fire Flower Peach. And we got Peach holding a javelin, wearing some pretty skin-tight spandex, like a superhero. This movie is giving us a lot. We even got like a little tease of Mario training on what looked like a 2D platform. And he was getting whacked by like 2D fire. He was getting attacked by... Uh, the fish, which unfortunately I can't... Oh, it's cheap, cheap. So there's a lot of like Easter eggs and fun quirks to the Mario games. And there's you can tell that there's a lot of love put into these characters. And the designs are amazing. This movie looks amazing. Again, I don't really know how I feel about Chris Pratt voicing Mario. But I wasn't even thinking about it during this trailer. I was just having a lot of fun with what I was watching. And I think that means that people are getting more and more hyped for this film... And again, it's going to be an either you love it or you hate it thing. This film is clearly for the kids, but it's going to have as much elements for the adults as well. I'm excited. I think I think my hype is going up for this film. I don't really have much more to say to that. It's it's coming out April 5th, so look forward to that. That one looks like it's going to be a fun film. Next story, we're going to get away from the movies for a little bit. We'll come back to it near the end. I want to talk about a big gaming story that dropped this week. So Sony has confirmed in some filings regarding Microsoft's proposed Activision takeover that it won't be launching the PlayStation 6. I know we're talking about the next gen PlayStation and we're only two years into the PlayStation 5's life cycle that we won't be launching the PlayStation 6 until 2027. So the document that was titled Sony Interactive Entertainment Observations on the CMA's issue statement and emblazoned with a confidential contains business secrets warning, outlines Sony's objections to the proposed acquisition, which is of uh, Activision Blizzard. Sony's main objections is that Call of Duty won't be available on the next generation of PlayStation. Microsoft has offered to continue making Activision games available on PlayStation only until 2027, is what the document reads. Likewise, in public comments just on October 26th, Microsoft said that it does plan on offering Call of Duty on PlayStation only as long as it makes sense a period until 2027 or some other possibly shorter time that Microsoft unilaterally determines makes sense to Microsoft is badly inadequate. Uh, then the following line had appeared in the document. By the time SIE launched the next generation of its PlayStation console, which is likely to occur around 2027, it would have lost access to Call of Duty and other Activision titles, making it extremely vulnerable to consumer switching and subsequent degradation in its competitiveness. Interesting that this year has since been redacted. You know, it's odd enough that we're already talking about the next generation PlayStation because, again, I'm still on PlayStation 4 land right now. I'm nowhere close to getting a PlayStation 5. But the roadmap suggests that that the Activision Blizzard deal um, is what 
ultimately leaked this potential date for the rough launch of the PlayStation 6, which means that they're already working behind the scenes on a patent for the PlayStation 6. That's crazy to me because they're having a hard time even getting PlayStation 5s on the shelf, let alone keeping them on the shelf for people to be able to jump on. I think that this is a believable time frame, considering that between 2020 and 2027, that's a seven-year gap for a console. And that's pretty well on par with what we're looking at. The PlayStation 4, I believe, launched sometime in 2013-ish. And then we got the PlayStation 5 in 2020. So six to seven years, that makes sense for the life cycle. And that falls pretty well in line with when we could see the next console. That seems so soon, though. You know what I mean? Like, I think when you're an adult, time just flies so quickly. But I think it's interesting that it took this whole Activision Blizzard controversy regarding Call of Duty and whether it's going to remain on PlayStation to oust when the next PlayStation is going to come out. I don't think it means that they're going to deter from releasing it at that time frame. But it's interesting to see um, that we seem to be getting conflicting comments from both Microsoft and Sony. Microsoft has stated that it's going to keep Call of Duty on the console. Uh, for basically indefinitely. Uh, you know, it, had, it said it had no plans to remove Call of Duty, but then Sony has said that they only were giving them 10 years. Uh, so I don't know what to believe, uh, but it seems as if this Activision Blizzard deal really only pertains to Call of Duty is what Sony's concerned about. I think that... Uh, here's the thing. I can, I can have my opinions on whether I think Call of Duty should remain multi-platform, and the thing is, I do believe it should remain multi-platform. There is already, I think the FTC is already looking into this deal and there might be some roadblocks that uh, Microsoft might face, uh, at least in the coming year in regards to Activision Blizzard and buying this company. Uh, so we'll see if the deal does go through next year when it, it's set to close. But right now, like Sony is really just like, like they're, they're really making some stark comments in the news and they're really letting things get out of hand in terms of the fact that we got these internal documents getting leaked now, like that's ridiculous. I think we just need to focus on just making the best content that we can, but it's clear that the acquisition war is clearly on. So if Sony feels as if they're being threatened to lose Call of Duty, I think they're going to continue to make some big acquisitions. Maybe if they feel they're not going to have their big shooter in Call of Duty, they're going to buy up a company um, or they're going to use Bungie, somehow find a way to make a game that is a direct competitor to Call of Duty because they feel as if that the multiplayer uh, environment is going to be bigger than all of their games that is currently first-party games being made on Sony platforms. I think Microsoft made a comment too this week that said, well, you know, Sony has really, really good first-party games that are clearly better than a lot of what Microsoft's putting out. So, I, you know, like Microsoft knows that Sony is basically winning in terms of games that are really good on their console being released. I think four of the six games that were unveiled in the uh, the Game Awards were Sony games, actually. Aside from like Elden Ring, which I think swung both ways, but like you got Stray, God of War, and Horizon Forbidden West. They're all Sony games exclusively, which I think is really funny that Sony feels threatened in this way. But it's because they don't have the edge in the multiplayer side. I mean, who knows when this Last of Us multiplayer game is going to come out, but I don't think it's going to come anywhere close to the, the gargantuan Call of Duty. We'll see. We'll see if Microsoft is looking to pull the edge there. The next story, this one's going to be a quick one. Uh, according to a quick tweet from James Gunn, 
He basically confirmed that there are plans in the future with him at the head of DC to somehow combine DC film and television division um, and connect them to the future of games on the DC universe. He didn't give any details. He only replied yes to a question. So it's not entirely clear what these plans apply to or the range of their interconnectivity. So the question came on November 27th from a user at the Rabbit Opossum. He said, are there plans for games to be connected to the DCU as well, Mr. Gunn? To which James Gunn simply replied, yes. To whether this may be, you know, direct movie or game tie-ins, you know, like say like Wonder Woman 3 gets a game tie-in or a game that may connect to movies or a game that may connect a movie and a show or something like that. Some sort of like story that allows you to be a bit more immersive in these characters rather than just sitting back and watching the shows. I think that's an interesting idea, you know, I, and I'm surprised that Marvel hasn't already hopped on this already because while we do have all these like slew of sort of passive entertainment in terms of shows and special presentations and movies, and we're clearly seeing the web, the interconnected universe here, there isn't really a lot of room for that direct interaction. And so that's where the MCU is lacking. They're lacking the games to be able to directly connect ourselves to that universe and to be able to shape the stories our way. So DC may have the edge there. And if James Gunn has his way, we know that he's a fantastic storyteller. He clearly had a win with the Suicide Squad over at DC. Otherwise, he would not be the head right now of DC. So I'm looking forward to seeing what this simple yes is going to evolve into. That's all I really have to say on that story. Finally, I want to talk about our last story of the night, and this one is a personal story of mine. Aside from the fact that we got the Super Mario Brothers movie trailer this week, there was another major trailer that dropped this week. I don't know. I mean, again, like I said, this is a personal favorite of mine, but this is one that I've been looking forward to for a long time. Uh, this was the trailer, first debut trailer for the Netflix original That 90s Show, which is actually the uh, direct sequel to That 70s Show which is starring Kurt Wood Smith and J Deborah Jo Rupp. They're coming back as Red and Kitty Foreman, uh, and they're going to be looking after Eric and Donna's daughter, Leia, who is going to be coming to visit for the summer, and all of their friends are basically hanging out. And it was absolutely surreal to watch Red and Kitty back in the same kitchen and the same basement, and like literally the set looks untouched, and yet it's aged about 15 years into the future somehow. Kitty doesn't look like she's aged a decade. Red looks a little older, but yet he still has that spunk and he still has that grumpy attitude. And you got a bit of, you know, quirky, that quirky nature from the, the young characters. So I have faith that this is going to be a great adaptation. I am glad that they held out on showing us anything that had to do with uh, cameos from the younger cast. We know that they're going to be appearing in at least one episode. Uh, and it'll probably will be somewhere either episode one or maybe later on in the series, like four or five. If it's going to stick to something like, say, I'm thinking of season one of Game Changers, like Mighty Ducks Game Changers, where we got a bunch of the ducks that appeared in like episode six, I believe. So they could save it for like middle of the show just to let the new characters breathe and sort of tell their stories. I think that makes a bit more sense. But I'm excited. This show is also coming in January. January is going to be a big month. So we're getting both that 90s show is coming in Netflix. And then we're getting The Last of Us is coming in January 15th, I believe on HBO Max. And I think there's one other thing coming in January as well, but still, this is going to be an exciting way to start 2023. And 
I mean, if you guys already know, that 70s show is one of my, it's it's basically like my one of my top three favorite shows of all time. Definitely my favorite comedy show aside from The Office. I'm 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 really much looking forward to that 90s show. I think that the elements are there for a successful run on Netflix. You know, it's got the budget, and I hope that they, I hope that they nail it out of the park. I feel like they got the tone just right and they got the quirky humor just right. So. Only time will tell. We'll have to wait and see how the show unfolds come next month. But I'm ready. I'm here. Finally, I want to go into our poll question results from last week. So the, last week we talked about the fact that Scarlet and Violet, they had released and the reviews were not so great. There was a lot of performance issues. Um, there was a lot of bugs and glitches. And I wanted to know from you guys, if you're still going to be purchasing Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, despite the glitches that and other issues that have been plaguing the game, Funny enough, um, 67% of you said no, and 33% of you said yes. That's based on nine total votes. I don't think there was a lot of people that were... when I, I think I had posed a poll question a while ago about Pokemon Scarlet and Violet that was similar in vain to this. And I think there were a lot of people that were sort of leaning towards the no side. Like People aren't necessarily interested in the newest generation of Pokemon because the thing is, and I'll admit this with Sword and Shield, is that Pokemon games have become very handholdy. At least for the adults, they have to have some sort of like button to just turn off tutorial mode because the whole game feels like a tutorial mode when you have your rival slash companion friend following and telling you literally every single thing and showing you everything again. Like this is how you catch a Pokemon. This is tall grass. This is a gym. This is a city. Like we get it. Okay. The formula has not changed and they have to abide to the fact that there are people that are my age that have been playing it from the beginning. I just don't recall it being as handholdy as it's been the last couple of generations. And I don't know, but like, who knows? At this point, much like, say, something like Red versus Blue, I'm going to eventually outgrow this franchise too, I feel. I thought maybe I'd be playing it to death, but like, I, I'm going to try Pokemon Violet and Scarlet, or it's probably going to be Violet because I think my brother is picking up Scarlet. I'm going to be picking it up, hopefully after they fix the the performance issues, which Nintendo's already promised they're going to be patching the game up to work. So that's good. I'm going to wait until the game is patched up to a better state. But until then, you know, I'm I'm going into this now with sort of a, a, a negative mindset. And, and that's unfortunate. But I do want to talk about our new poll question. I did have another one earlier that was going to talk about how hyped you are for Super Mario Bros. But this one... Because of CCXP and so everything that got announced at CCXP, I want to know, of what we saw, or, you know, some of the news that we got, what are you the most excited for that was revealed at CCXP 2022? Are you excited for Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, Indiana Jones 5, or The Mandalorian Season 3? I know, like, it's basically a toss-up between Marvel Studios and Lucasfilm, but... Let me know. You guys may be excited for Guardians over, say, Indiana Jones, and that's totally fine. But I want to get your opinions based on what you saw from the showcase. Personally, right now, I am very excited for Guardians 3. I'm still excited for Ant-Man and the Wasp. I, in fact, I'm excited for all these projects. But I think Guardians 3, like that was, I'd say that was a much better first trailer than what we got from Ant-Man 3. So take that what you will. You guys will all have your own opinions. And I look forward to hearing them in the comments. Leave a comment on the show and let me know. This question is now available at the release of this episode over on my Twitter account. Go follow at Will Key to make sure that you answer this question and you know the results will be discussed on next week's episode. 
So that about does it for today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You can head over to my blog, wkey.wordpress.com, where I occasionally will post feature-length articles, news pieces, opinions on generally anything I find interesting. Like I said, look forward to this month where I am going to be having a new blog discussing my top three favorite games, movies, and shows of the year. Stay tuned for for that, because when I do write it, it will be mentioned on this show. Uh, as well, as you mentioned, as I mentioned on the last episode, I just started Hive. Uh, so if you haven't already, follow me on Hive. I'm at William Outbreak. My Twitter handles are at Will Key and at Podcast Outbreak if you want to follow those two. It's going back over to uh, TikTok, you can follow me at William Outbreak as well. William Outbreak is what you can look for if you want to search for any of my clothing and stuff like that on Redbubble. Uh, this podcast is available on anchor.fm at anchor.fm backslash the outbreak podcast but anchor allows me to distribute this show to the masses that includes apple muse apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify listen notes iHeartRadio, amazon music plus audible and TuneIn plus alexa now unfortunately because i have apple Podcasts, i'm unable to see uh, my results for my favorite podcasts of the year but if my show ended up in anybody's top five feel free to let me know because I know Spotify wrapped is showing that stuff. Um, so I am curious if, if anybody has me in their top five for the podcast, send me a link on Twitter, send me a link on discord. I'd love to see it. And that way I know who exactly is listening and I'll, maybe I'll give you a shout out on the next episode. Otherwise, you know, if you want to get a shout out on the next episode, feel free to leave a five-star review either on Apple podcast or Spotify or even Google, whoever does the um, reviews, most of the time I read them from Apple because that's what I have access to. But if you do have a review and you want to leave me some personal comments, you know, do it through one of those channels or even on Twitter, or Discord, feel free to shoot me a message. I am available wherever. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode and have yourselves a great night.